Thank you very much, Pastor, and uh, good morning to you all. I'm very happy that I can be here and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ once again in Thorn, Thornville. <laughs> I still get mixed up with Thornwood. Well, it's true, I was a pilot, and people ask me about that quite often, and what I usually say to them now is, I'm flying at a higher level. <laughs> I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That airplane would never make it to the kingdom of heaven. But with the gospel, we get there, all the way to God's kingdom. So we praise the Lord for that. Having been on the field many years, coming back is a lot different than it was when I went. And I find myself, as I come back, actually seeing the challenges here greater than they were on the mission field there in Africa. Because at least there, we were respected for what we were doing. And we were received by the churches there with open arms. Come, please, help us. We need you. And as we come back to America, the general society is in the United States has actually turned against the gospel. And it is a place that is a hostile environment for us. It wasn't like that when I left. In, in one man's lifetime, how many things can change? But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise the Lord for that. We have the same gospel to preach. And who knows, I never ended up in prison there in Africa for preaching the gospel, but it could happen here in my own home country of the United States of America. And when we were there on the field, most missionaries until today come from the United States of America. The vast majorities of the missionaries come from this country. But I think we now need missionaries from Africa to come here and teach our people because we lost our way in the educational process, in the breaking of the family. And uh, we are really in a tremendously needy, useful field right here in, in Thornwood, right here in Lapeer, right here in the United States of America. I want to preach this morning out of Matthew chapter 28, the familiar verse on missions, 28, 18, and 19. So let's turn to there now. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, a word that's so comprehensive. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke it. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that it's to our ears. It should be to our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time to speak about this passage. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see it afresh, See it anew, see it from your eyes, Lord. May you give us a vision of your will for each one of us. May you speak to our hearts, speak to my heart, 
Lord. And may we have that attitude that we want to learn from you what this means for me in a particular way where I'm at in this world. Help me to speak, I pray, Lord. Put your word in our hearts, Lord. Help us to live what we hear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. All power given unto me. This is truly a very great word. All power, omnipotent power. And only Jesus could say it. He has universal dominion over all power. It is said, it's given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, Jesus was not always a man. He was born of a virgin. And he became a man. But now it is invested unto him who had all power in heaven. But as the God-man, now he is given all power in heaven and in earth. And he says, therefore, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, as it says in Mark, to every creature. So this word that he gives us, why did he say it in such a way as that? Uh, it, it is an encouragement, isn't it? All power. It is a command. It is a promise. In these words, the way that he stated it. You know that there is no organization in the world, on earth, that has more power behind it than the church. None. The church and the church's missionaries to do his work. Our mission is based on almighty power, on his power. It says in 2 Corinthians 16, 9... For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The Lord will show himself strong to them whose heart is perfect toward him, to them who want to do his will, who want to fulfill his purpose in their life. He is roaming the earth with his eyes to show himself strong, powerful on behalf of that person. Remember, Peter was called into question and they said, by what authority, by what power do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? And the answer to that is Jesus Christ. He gave him that authority and that authority is given unto you and to me. All power is given unto me, therefore, go, you, Jesus gives you that power and that authority as it was questioned unto Peter. Who has given you this strength, this authority? If you're going to question me, I'm going to tell you. And he told them, that one that you crucified, he gave me the power. He gave me the authority. That's who. We have more strength behind us than the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Marines and all our atomic weapons combined, that strength is on our behalf to help us to do this great mission. Why did he say it in such a way? It's given me all power in heaven and earth. 
Why did he say that? Or why did he say, I'm with you always? Why did he say that? And he said also, until the end of the world. Why did he say each of those things in that order? It's for encouragement for you and for me. All power available in every place. When I was in Bible school, they used to say, when you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. Go ye therefore, what for? Because of the preceding verse that Jesus spoke. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, for that reason, you can go with confidence, with power, without being ashamed. You can go forth because you've got strength from me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, we have the symbol of a yoke. It yokes two animals together. That they can work with combined strength to do a task. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. We are yoked to the Lord Jesus. And you are not much, and neither am I. But when we are yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. He's our strength and our power. He's the steamroller. He's the one that has what we need to get the job done. Like Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies, and what they believed in, the two spies, that is, they made it to the promised land. The Lord was with them, while the others denied. They said, let's go. He's with us. We can do it. That's the attitude that you and I should have. Let's go. We can do it. He's with us. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It is His promise. He said so. It is His command. It is His order. All power. Go. All the power that there is. Power that makes all the airplanes fly. Power that makes all the trucks roll. Power that makes all the boats to float and the trains to rumble. Power that makes the planets turn and makes the stars to shine. Power that makes the waves roar and makes the elephants lumber. All the power behind the fuel. All the power behind money. All the power behind electricity. We do not lack power to accomplish our mission. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus spoke it. The best speaker that ever there was. All power. Therefore, go. What can we say, therefore, to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And this power is released by faith. Be it unto you according to your faith, Jesus said. You remember the story of David and Goliath. 
when the armies of Israel were defied by Goliath. And David came by, and he saw how they were defied by Goliath. And he saw how the armies of Israel were trembling. Who is going to fight against this giant? And Saul himself was fearful of the situation. And David said, I will fight this in the name of my God. And he stood up and he fought Goliath. And he won that battle by the faith that he received from the Lord and the power because of his exercise of that faith. But here's the point I want to make of that little story. After that, it says that the armies of Israel rose up and they slew those Philistines. They chased after them and they knocked them down. They wiped them out, as it were. They went into the battle. But why was that? It was because this boy David had faith. And he exercised it for the Lord. And that raised up and encouraged the army of Israel to stand up and to fight for the Lord. That one young person had faith. And it rose up and encouraged an army of men to go forward to fight the battle of the Lord against the giants. That one man, that one woman could be you. Are you that person that will stand up and say, I'll fight for the Lord. He's promised me the power that I need. He's with me. I'll go forward. When one person takes a stand for the Lord Jesus, it encourages so many people. It lifts our spirits up. It makes us want to move forward in the name of the Lord. Will you be that person that will encourage those around you, the other Christians, yoked with Jesus Christ in his power. He gives us the power that we need. Now, does this mean all power is given to me in the heaven and earth, therefore go? Does that mean that we have all power in us all the time? Are we omnipotent? No. It certainly doesn't mean that. What if you had all power? What would you do? Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. You'd abuse it. To have all power, you have to have all intelligence. To be omnipotent, you've got to be omniscient to handle it all. Power corrupts, and more power corrupts more. Jesus wasn't saying that you're going to be omnipotent. If I had power like that, you, you would probably see mountains flying over Thornbill being thrown into Lake Huron every day because I would abuse that power. I wouldn't know how to use it. The disciples said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on this place? And the Lord said, you don't know what spirit you're of. No, it doesn't mean we're omnipotent or that all power is going to be available to us every day in every situation. Not exactly like that. But what it does mean is he gives us as much power as we need when we need it. That's how he works it. Do you remember Brother Andrew, the story of the man that used to deliver Bibles into Russia when it was communist? Well, they would search his car before he went in because you couldn't take Bibles into Russia. It was illegal. They would seize you 
But that was his mission. He felt called by the Lord to do that. And he would assemble all these things in Holland. He was Dutch. He'd get all these Russian Bibles together. They would be praying in his church. It was a whole plan. Then he'd go to the border of Russia to make a visit in there. And he'd load his car with Bibles. When he loaded his car with Bibles, he'd put them in the trunk. He'd put them on the back seat and on the seat in front alongside of him. He'd pull up to the border and he prayed like this. Lord, as in the scripture, you prayed and you opened the eyes of the blind. Now I am praying, Lord, that you would close the eyes of the seeing. And he pulled up to that border post and the guards would come out there and say, what do you got? Well, here, open your trunk. You open the trunk. He had Bibles. It was full of Bibles. They didn't see any of them. They closed the trunk and said, okay, you can go on in. He'll give you all the power you need at the time you need it. That's the way he works. <laughs> he went in with all those Bibles and distributed it among pastors in Russia, communist Russia, where it's illegal to do that, where people suffered terrible for their faith. I was reading a book the other day about a man that suffered horrible in Russia. He was a pastor, how he suffered terrible. And he told of many, many others that died during those communist days in Russia. This man went in fearlessly. You're with me. You gave me the command. You said, go. I'm going. It's your promise. I believe it in faith. And the Lord granted him the power that he needed to do it. Praise the Lord. We're offered this strength. We're commanded to use it. And he gives us a promise. I'm with you. He's not just saying, go. He's saying, let's go. I'm alongside you. I'm with you. I'm in you. We're doing it together. Praise the Lord. When the, uh, when the disciples were offered such power, such promises, could they just say no? Wouldn't that be a tremendous insult? Imagine the Lord making all this offer to his disciples, and more than an offer, a command, a promise, and then to say, oh no, I think I'm going to go do something else. What an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how could we do such a thing? And that promise is to us. It's to you. And it's to me. We're commanded. We're promised that he's with us. Always remember this when you go out witnessing. This is what the Lord commanded me to do. And he said he's going to give me his strength to do it. And he promised that he's with me. Review that in your prayer before you go out witnessing. He's with me. I'm doing what he told me. I know I'm doing the will of God because he said to do this. Not something I dreamed up. But he told me to do it. And he's given me the strength to do it. And he's promised that he's with me. So I'm on a great mission. I've got a great commissioner. And he's with me all the time. Praise the Lord. Just like he told Joshua. And he commanded him. And he told him to go out. Be strong. Be of good courage. I'm with you. It's the same promise to you and the same promise to me. Always. He never moves away. 
He's always with us. It should be like fire in our bones to do this commission, to fulfill it. If you fail, it's not because of him. <laughs> he never fails. The battle is the Lord, and he will win it. With you or without you, he will win the battle. Go into the battle with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is written, he sits on a white horse, and there is a name written on his vesture, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he leads his army into victory, not into defeat. Preaching the word, as in the Old Testament, one of David's men, it says that he fought in the battle and the sword stuck to his hand. <laughs> Isn't that amazing image? He was in the battle. He was fighting so hard against the enemy. He was having the victory. The sword was stuck to his hand. And he continued in the fight. He was weary, but he kept on fighting. Great image of the sword of God. The word of God in your hand, in your mind, in your heart. And you're in the thick of the battle. But you keep swinging it. You keep wielding it. You keep preaching it. You keep testifying it. You keep telling it. You don't stop, but you go for the victory. And you cannot lose. I read an article one time about Billy Graham, whether you agree with his theology or not. It was a good article, and it has a good lesson. He said in one of his campaigns in New York City, it started as a two- or three-week thing, and uh, so many people were responding that they extended it to, uh, for another two or three weeks. And so many people responded that it went on for another three weeks. Then they kept extending it through the summer. It went all summer and it went four months. And the final campaign was in uh, Times Square in New York City. And there were 100,000 people there in front, huge crowds. And he said that he was sitting on the platform, and he was exhausted. I imagine he was exhausted. He was preaching six days a week for four months. The man was absolutely exhausted. He said, I was physically, psychologically, spiritually, every kind of way, I was absolutely exhausted. I didn't have anything in me anymore. There's nothing left. And I was sitting on the platform with 100,000 people out ahead of me, and I didn't have anything to say. I'll tell you, as a preacher, if you stand on a platform, you don't have nothing to say. You get pretty nervous. And if you have 100,000 people out ahead of you, and you don't have anything to say, I think I'd be shaking in my boots. What am I going to tell all these people? And it's on national television at the same time. What am I going to say? But I don't have anything to say. And so he said, I saw something on a billboard, a commercial billboard there, that related to a verse in the scripture in a certain kind of a way. And I just stood up and I started preaching. He said, I don't know what happened. Just it all started to come and come and come. And I just preached and preached and preached. And the Lord blessed it tremendously. Well, you know, as we stand up to speak for the Lord, he will give us the force to say what we need to say in that hour, to go into that battle, 
even if we haven't rehearsed for it, he will give us the words that we need. It might be in your school. It might be at your work. It may be with your neighbor. But the power will come at the time that you need it. I can remember one time Pastor Larry, he called me up on a Saturday night many years ago. And he said, could you teach a Sunday school lesson tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning? Oh, boy. I haven't looked at anything. Um, and I, I said, no, I don't think I can handle it. You know? uh, it was kind of late on Saturday night, and I, I just couldn't get it ready. And so lo and behold, on Sunday morning, who was teaching the Sunday school class but Pastor Larry? He couldn't handle it either, I don't think, but he did it. <laughs> and he did it well, too, because the Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness. From that time forward, I thought, boy, I don't want to turn down any opportunity now. <laughs> I put the pastor really on a spot, you know. I should have said yes. Well, maybe I'm not ready, but the Lord's ready. He's going to do something, and he knows the situation. Satan has been granted power, and he's using it, and he's using it for evil. We've been granted greater power to do good for it, and we should be using it to do good. We should be going with that strength and force that he's given us and not laid back. If somebody gave you a billion dollars and said, go, what would you do? I'll tell you what my wife would do. <laughs> She'd go to the store right away, I think. Well, we've been granted more than that. And we've been given a commission. It's a very large scope. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. That means no exceptions. We go and preach it to everybody in the whole world. Now, when was the last time before you were saved, somebody told you to go into all the world and do something? That never happened to me. I worked at General Motors. They just said, go over there and do that work. But nobody ever told me to go in the whole world and do something. But Jesus' scope is at large. We go into all the world. It must be pretty important to do that. And of course, it's, it is vitally important that we go and if we send missionaries out. We have a church near our home church in Ann Arbor that's a mega church. 10,000 maybe. Last time I was home on furlough, I paid a visit to that church. It used to be the Big Baptist Temple in Detroit. It's now called Northridge Church. It's out in the rich suburbs. I went in there and talked to them about missions. And you know what they said to me? We don't have any missionaries in this church. What? No missionaries? <laughs> 10,000 people in this church? They don't send out any missionaries. They don't even have one missionary. Well, I know a church called Thornwood that has more than that. <laughs> or Briarwood Baptist. We just got a few old people in that place. And they had a missionary on the mission field. Here, this 10,000-member church, not even one missionary. My goodness. They said, well, we support groups like Food for the Hungry and World Vision, things like that. But we don't support any missionaries. Well, I would be ashamed to admit that at a church that size. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. A church should have a missionary if they can do it and should support that missionary 
and should be a vital outreach to those that have not heard the gospel. Those lost tribes that we saw on, this, on the slides yesterday that don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those places who are open so much more than here, and yet there are not enough workers to go there to tell them about the Lord Jesus. We went into the bush in places that when we came there and people heard the message, one lady said, I've, in my 50 years of living, I've never heard such a thing. And we had the opportunity and the privilege to preach the gospel to people like that. One lady was so excited at one campaign. She was about to have a baby, and we had to take her into the clinic about 12 miles away, and I drove her there personally in my car and uh, dropped her off there. The next day, she was back at the crusade with the baby. And she said, you're going to name the baby. <laughs> so I named the baby Ruth. I still remember it. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, in the clinic one day, the next day, she's back at the crusade. <laughs> I haven't seen anything like this before. I want to be there. <laughs> Bless her heart, she was there. And her baby is Ruth. And I think they'll remember. It was the time that missionary guy came here and preached the crusade. I had my baby at that time. And he named this missionary, this, I mean this child of ours. Named her. And then probably they'll study about the character of Ruth in the Bible. Well, we praise the Lord for all the opportunities we had there. To go and find his lost sheep. Jesus went into all of these places in all the world, and when he stopped in such places like nine, in little villages way there in the bush, such out-of-the-way places the Lord Jesus took, not just Jerusalem, but he went into the corners. He went into the out-of-the-way places. And as we went into Africa, this little bitty town, this guy came to me in the big city where we lived, and he said, I, I was born in a little town in a bush. He was a Christian. He came through my wife's ministry of children. Now he's working with children. He's married. He's got three children of his own. But he said to me as a grown man, I want to go back to my little home village, little town called Inturu, way back in a bush. And I want to do a campaign there, a crusade. So we went way in there. And as we went in there, they decorated the football field, the soccer field. They put ribbons all around. They came out on the road and met us and gave us a, sort of like a convoy. They were on foot in front of our car, and we were coming in with Jesus. <laughs> People walked from the villages all over. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, even that little bitty town. And many people heard about the Lord in that place, and he did wonderful works in that place. Our mission is the whole world, not to save the whole world, but to find God's elect in all of those corners, in all of those places, to find the lost sheep. For this, Paul said, I suffer for the elect's sake. As Jesus suffered for the elect's sake, so do we. And we don't be frustrated, really, if we don't save anybody. Neither did Noah that we know of. But he kept on preaching right to the end. You know, I often think of Noah, the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
In the day of Noah, when the flood came, was there faith on the earth? Not very much, I'll tell you. But he kept on preaching the word to the world that was around him. He kept on doing what the Lord told him to do. The Lord is so merciful. He is so patient. He let it come down, come down, come down to eight people. One of them was still preaching the word. Noah, preaching the word. Till that final hour. Wow. What a thing. I think of that. Often I think of the end of the world because I think it's coming again. And is the Lord going to find faith on the earth? Are you going to be preaching the gospel? Am I going to be preaching the gospel? So few. How much patience the Lord had in Sodom and Gomorrah. How much patience he had there, there in Noah's day to let it come down to such a small number. Yikes. I think of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, he kept asking, Lord, if there be 50 people there, Oh, surely you wouldn't destroy it for 50. No, I, I won't destroy it. But Lord, if there be 40 people, what if there be just 40 people? No, I won't, not for 40. What if there's 30? Oh, no, for 30. Where's, but he didn't go all the way down to one, did he? You, know, you often think about that. Boy, he wouldn't do it for I wonder if he would have kept going down lower. What would have happened? Well, what did happen? Who left the town? Lot, his wife, Two daughters. Uh, that brought it down to four, didn't it? And then not only that, but his wife turned back. I'm not sure. That may have brought it down to three. The Lord knows her judgment. I don't know for sure. And then his two daughters, they committed such an evil sin later. You know, sometimes I think it was only one person left in the whole place. Lot. And the Lord conserved it just for him. I don't know for sure, but that's what it seems like. Oh, God is patient. He's so patient. In the days of Noah, he was so patient. He let it come down to eight people. We're preaching at Briarwood Church. Hardly anybody comes. We're preaching, and people turn us away. But it's not our job to save the world. We preach the gospel for the elect's sake, and he'll call his own unto himself. And that's the way it is. We can't be frustrated with it, but we go on and do what he told us to do. There'll be a Rahab in Jericho. There'll be a malefactor like the one on the cross that'll believe. There'll be a demonic person like the man with 2,000 demons that will come out from among them. When I think of that guy, the demoniac that had apparently 2,000 demons, boy, was there a worse guy than him in all the earth? I don't know. I've seen some pretty bad people. But that would pretty much top it, I think. He lived among the tombs and he cut himself. No man could tame him and he would tear the chains apart. And they were all afraid of them. But look, later on in that town, they sent Jesus away. That town was an awful town. Maybe that was the worst of towns and this was the worst guy in it. And the Lord saved him. Go, preach the gospel. And all the world. That's his command. He'll do his work. He'll call them out. <laughs> Could be any place. You know, the lost coin. You've dropped a coin. <laughs> How many times? You drop a coin, you can't find it. That thing, I don't know why it is. I think it's just to remind me of the verse, you know. That lost coin just rolls and it finds some kind of a place and I'm looking on where in the world is it? Where did I, I just dropped it right here. I, I felt it hit my toe. But 
I can't find it. And you know, I might not find it for a day, two days, a week. And you know, you might be moving your house 10 years later and you're cleaning out and you find a coin. How did that coin get in this dark, dusty place anyway? It just rolled there, you know, and there it is, waiting to be found. That's how it is with people, too. How in the world did you get yourself in this mess? How in the world did this person end up so bad? How did John Newton end up in the slave trade? But amazing grace, he was found. Praise the Lord. The gospel that his mother taught him earlier on came back to his heart. It was a lost coin that was found. Rejoice, rejoice with me. I found it. I swept my house. I found it. Rejoice for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those lost coins who finally came out. They saw the light. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were made new creations in Christ Jesus. In hard places to reach. Dark places. Places where no one would go, but Jesus would go. And he said, I'm with you. Let's go. What adventures. What adventures. Before we get to the other side, he brings us into great adventures. <laughs> Remember when the disciples were in the boat? He commanded them to get in the boat. Let's go over to the other side now. And they're heading over to the other side, the great storm and so forth. Well, you know, when you look at that passage, you know Jesus is going to make it to the other side. Then you think of the disciples. Are they going to make it? Well, it's hard for me to believe that Jesus is going to get there all by himself, you know, and everybody else is going to drown. Come on, let's go. We're going to make it. We're getting there. I'm with you. Into all the world. We'll make it. It often takes a great effort to find that lost coin. Yes, sometimes it remains lost for a long, long time. You might lose a coin and find it someday in the other, in another room in the house. But how did that happen? Maybe the cat picked it up and took it there. I don't know. I remember I heard a story in the po about the post office in Chicago. It was on the radio years ago. They found a package way in the depths of the bowels of the Chicago Central Post Office. <laughs> it was dated 1917. And they found an address on it. <laughs> and they delivered it. And the guy was there. <laughs> and he got the package. Once it was lost, but then it was found. Boy, was he happy. <laughs> Let's go. The Lord knows his people. He knows exactly where they're at. And he'll use you to find them with his gospel of light. And there's many dangers involved. Boy, you know, it was dangerous for the Lord Jesus to come here. Can you imagine that? The Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in him. When he came to earth here, it was dangerous for him, for him to fall into the hands of men. And he would put his life up for stakes. His life, he said on the line, nobody could take it from him. But as it were, he gave it up, and they killed him. We go into the depths of the darkness. Sometimes it's dangerous. But we'll look what we find in such a place by the grace of God. We are fishers of men. We throw the net every place. We shine the light everywhere. 
We send the seed in every direction. And the Lord does his work. And he calls out his people. Go, therefore, preach the gospel in all the world, unto every creature. You know, this word, go, this word is, is an action word. It's very difficult to sit down on the word go. Because it's a word full of action. If you are going to sit down on this word, it's like it, it's kicking you. Go, go, go. Go means don't stop. I remember one time I was riding my little scooter in our town in Beta, Mozambique, Africa. And I had a stoplight. And as I looked at that stoplight, it was uh, delaying. So I looked out in this direction. I wasn't paying very much attention was what was going on, and it turned green. And I didn't see it turn green. But the guy behind me did. And you know what happened? He's honking his horn. Honk, honk, honk. Go, go, go. Don't stop. Go. Jesus gave the command. The signal is green. And he's saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. That's his commission for us. Here in the United States, it looks fearful to me now. I need your prayers to fulfill the great commission here. It seems so easy there in Africa. Here it looks so difficult. Everybody's so intellectual. Oh my goodness. They got a reason for it. They'll explain their way out of anything and everything. I'll tell you, they're so smart. So they seem to be anyway. Anything you say, they respond with such education, such pride. Knowledge puffeth up. Boy, there's so much truth in that. Knowledge puffeth up. Oh, because the pride of man is so great, and when he learns something, he wants to tell everybody about it. Well, to me, when we learn the scriptures, the simplicity of it, that's the great thing about it. You don't have to be intelligent to believe it. It's so simple, a child can believe it. And for them to say that all of us are an accident, and that the whole creation just happened, and it just is an ongoing accident. You know, accidents aren't ongoing. But things that happen in order like that they're not accidents. They're on purposes. And there's a purpose provider behind it. And that's the Lord our God. And the idea that they're provoking and they're sending forth, that, oh, we come from monkeys, you know. And when's the last time that you ever saw a monkey that they cared about you? And how could you evolve from him? And how, how in the world could you as a person ever developed from such a lower state of being. I mean, did you ever meet a person that didn't have a knowledge of God? At least acknowledge that, the, the, that there is a God? Maybe that's happening here in the United States today. I don't know. They want to completely refute God altogether. 
But in his heart, he knows there is a God. In fact, they have done studies on people groups across the world, and in all the people groups that they've looked at, all, every single one, there's not one that within their language does not have the word God. None. Every single people group has that in their vocabulary. When Wycliffe goes out and they want to translate languages, they find that word in every language, God. Why is that? Because man knows there's a God. He knows there is a God. They try to deny it, but they cannot. But God has put it in man. We're created in the image and likeness of God. And to deny that, they'd have to deny something that God actually put in their mind and conscience, in their inner being, with the intelligence that we have. We know, you know, this couldn't, you know, this couldn't all happen by itself. So when they look at animals, they haven't found any animal. Do you know of any? Tell me if you do. Now, I'm just not talking about species. But any individual animal or insect or anything of the wild kingdom, none ever that has ever been found had any awareness of God. Does that make us different than the animal kingdom a little bit? It sure does. Completely different. They weren't created in the image and likeness of God. We were. How did we evolve from them when they don't even have a spiritualism about them? When's the last time you saw a monkey in church? When's the last time you saw a dog go outside at night and, oh, look at the creation. That's tremendous. Wow. Dogs don't do that. But people do. In fact, they're sending up the Hubble telescope just to discover more and more things. They're, oh, wow, look at all of this. Monkeys don't do that, but people do it because we have that image and likeness of God in us and we have the intelligence given us. We go out and in this day and age in America, we still have a great gospel and great reasoning behind us to tell the people and anybody that has this gospel inside of them doesn't have to go out with fear because God has created that other person, though he be an unbeliever, with the capacity to hear, at least give an ear and to confess either that he doesn't believe it and doesn't want it or that he does and he'll receive it. And we're just looking for those who are the elect. We preach it to all. Praise the Lord for the opportunity we have to go out and preach this great message. Well, one time when I was leaving Kenya, I first was in Kenya, and then I went down to Mozambique. I was called into Mozambique to preach the gospel. And as, as I went down there to Mozambique, I had the opportunity to uh, say goodbye to my friends in Kenya at the airport there, and I said goodbye to all of them as I was getting ready to leave to go to Mozambique. And at that point, I was going to get on an airplane and not come back to Kenya, leaving the mission program that we had there, flying planes and flying missionaries into the interior. But the Lord, He called me with power to Mozambique. And that was so important to me throughout 28 years. 
Because I got into situations where I had to think, Lord, did you call me to this or not? <laughs> what am I doing here? Wasn't it you that said go? Wasn't it you that called me? Wasn't it you that sent me? Isn't that why I'm here? And to have that inside of you is so important. When you go out to witness, Lord, it was you that did this. It's you that called me to do it. You that told me to do this. You said you're with me. I'm doing it. Help me in this situation that I'm in. And as a missionary, I found that so often. Lord, I, this is tough. I'm, I'm hardly making it here. But you're the one that sent me, I know. You're the one that said, go. You're the one that said, you're with me. I remember going to the airport in uh, Kenya. Oh, I suppose, I, did I run out of time? I did. Okay. <laughs> one saying yes, one saying no. <laughs> and as he called me down to Mozambique, uh, it was hard leaving Kenya. I had all my friends there. And I thought that um, as I left, uh, saying goodbye in the airport, it was a struggle for me. But we went out, and I was late getting on the plane there. And uh, they said, hurry up, go off to the plane. Well, it's starting to, to go now, and you have to, to get on it. So I started to run toward the plane, and I had this money on me that I forgot, Kenyan money, and uh, I, it was going to get me in trouble as I boarded the plane. So I tried to get rid of it, and I thought, well, I'll just throw this away in a corner somewhere. But then uh, I thought, well, this is good money. I can't throw this away. I can't do that. What am I going to Well, I'll just keep it in my pocket. And, uh, well, no, I'll go back downstairs and give it to the missionary that took me to the airport. So I started to go back down the up escalator and Oh, boy, this doesn't look good. Somebody's going to say, who's this guy, going, a grown man going down an up escalator in an international airport? I better not do this. So then I went back up the up escalator, and I went into this embarkation room, and, and, uh, and the guy started to look at my baggage and checked it all out. Then he started to frisk me here, and he felt this big wad in my pocket, and I said, what's that? And I said, it's money. Money. Yeah, he said, well, take it out. So I took out this money, and it was a big wad of money there, and uh, I brought extra money because I had extra baggage that I was going to take with me to Mozambique. But the guy that I was going with had been in Mozambique. He said, I'll take your extra baggage because I'm not staying. You're staying for a long time. So he balanced out, and I didn't use the money, so I had it in my pocket, but I forgot. And uh, I'm explaining this to the customs guy, and he's saying, yeah, sure. And I could see the plane through the big picture window. And there was this door with electricity where you got to walk through and it sends the bells off, you know. Well, I could, that just shut, you know. I was like, I'm never going to make it. This door has closed. Lord, I thought you preached, you called me to Mozambique. The door, the clo door's closed. And I could see the airplane and the crew, they're rolling the staircase away. And uh, the guy says to me, you're going to prison. You know that, don't you? Oh, no. I'm going to prison? Okay, well, I guess the Lord wants me to preach the gospel in prison. <laughs> and then the chief uh, police person there was a lady. She came over and addressed my case. Everybody was already on the plane. And she, she heard my story. And she looked at me and she said, Take this money. Get out of here. 
I took that money, put it in my pocket, and I ran toward that airplane, and that door that seemed to be bolted and welded and padlocked shut, it splintered open, and I went through it, and I ran across that, down the corridor, in the picture windows, I could see the plane outside, and I'm giving hand signals, put the ladder back up to the airplane, <laughs> and they put it back up there, the ground crew, and the way the airport was situated, I went outside, downstairs, onto the ground level where the airplane was, and as I cleared the roof line, these people behind me were yelling and screaming. I looked back, it was my Kenyan friends, and uh, I couldn't tell what they were saying, but to me it was like, Don, go, 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 go on to Mozambique and preach the gospel. I'm running for the plane, and I go up the steps into that plane, and I get on board the plane, and uh, this stewardess comes up to me, and she said, where'd you come from? I said, well, I just came up the steps onto the airplane. Really? Well. And she said to me, we don't have any seats on this airplane. Oh, really? Well, I've got a ticket here. Oh, yeah, you got a ticket. Well, just wait right here. Well, where else was I going to go? <laughs> I, I waited right there. <laughs> you know, she, she went through that whole airplane, and she came back to me, and she said, we don't have any seats on this airplane. I said, well, look, I got a ticket here. It was a paid-for ticket. Oh, well, she said, okay, wait a minute. She went to the captain, I guess, and explained the whole thing, and, and um, like, we got a guy standing here. The plane's full. We can't take off. What are we going to do? So they delayed the whole flight. Here it was, Boeing 747, loaded. Plus one. <laughs> they don't know what they're going to do with me. So the lady comes back to me. She says, follow me. Wow. Sounded like the Lord Jesus. <laughs> follow me. So I follow this lady. She comes to this seat in the plane, and it's got a, a man and a little boy. And she says, he says, she said to the little, to the man, can you take this, I guess it was his son, Put him on your lap so we can sit this guy down and take off and go onwards to Mozambique. And this guy says, oh, we're going to Mozambique. He said it in a funny way, like he didn't know where he was going. And that whole section of the airplane started to laugh. And everybody's laughing, you know. And, uh, and even the guy was laughing. He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> Now I get it. You want me to set this on my son on my lap so we can set this guy down so we can take off. Oh, yeah, good idea. He had a big smile and everything. It was the Lord created the whole atmosphere. It was him and his strength, his power, and his spirit. He set it all up. And I sat down in that seat, and I buckled my seatbelt, and we went roaring out of Kenya on a Boeing 707 loaded plus one in Jesus' name. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go! I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with you. He's with you. He'll open the door. All the power you need at the time you need it. He'll give it to you when you're doing His will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your strength in our lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your command. It's what you want us to do. There's no doubt about it. You've given the command. And you don't want us to do it alone. You said you'd be with us always. And that's a promise. Even unto the end of the world. Help us to be faithful, Lord, to your word. 
and to have confidence and trust for all power is on our side. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.